Take your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 34, if you would. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. This past week, I was out with my family having dinner one night, and I ran into my parents' next-door neighbors at dinner. And their next-door neighbor, the lady, her name is Beverly Barnhart. Beverly is just an incredible human being, a godly lady, loves God, and just has a, just a unique, God's gifted her with the English language. She's extremely, she should have been a professor. And I was, uh, I remember in high school, I was taking uh, honors English, and uh, she would help me in learning how to write uh, research papers and term papers and all these different things in high school. And I remember as a, a junior sp- spending nights at their house, and she would help me learn how to construct the right types of paragraphs and have all the data and pull it all together and formulate it together. And uh, I told her a few years ago, I said, did you ever know, I said, back then you were helping me and now I write for a living. Now I, uh, I use some of those same techniques and, and skills that you taught me back in high school in the 90s. Uh, I said, I, I use those every day in my job and uh, I'm very thankful for her. Uh, her investment in my life, and she probably thought, you know, uh, she was a homeschool mom. She probably thought, you know what, I've just, I've got my little tribe around me, and I'm working with those kids and working with her kids. But I told her, I said, you had a direct impact on my life. In college, I had a professor named Dr. Charles Schaefer, and Dr. Schaefer was uh, also an English professor and was uh, just uh, just a, a gift from God. And, and I went to a, a small Christian college in Florida, and I remember. Uh, he would oftentimes uh, go around and he would find students and just, uh, instead of sitting with the faculty in a faculty dining area, he would come and sit down with the students and he'd talk about life with you. And sometimes he'd come over to the dorms and bang on the doors. This is in, in, a, in a Christian college. There were not co-ed dorms. It was all-guys dorms. And he would knock on your door and say, what you doing? Uh, what you studying? What you, what you preparing for? And he'd talk to you and he'd kind of get up in your personal space a little bit. He'd say, uh, David, uh, all you North Carolina boys are all alike. He said, all you want to do is get back home to mama's cooking. And he was like, you know, have you ever thought about what God wants for your life? Has he ever, have you ever thought about that God might have bigger plans than what you could even imagine uh, for your life? And he would challenge me in my way of thinking. He says, don't limit the work of God. Don't limit the work of the Holy Spirit. Because maybe he doesn't want you to just be just a youth pastor. Or, and that was what I was preparing for. He said, maybe he has even bigger plans. Maybe God has even greater things that you've not even begun to imagine. And and I remember, uh, you know, those early days, especially when you're a freshman and sophomore in, in college, you're trying to like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of just passing this class, much less what I'm going to do uh, in four years, or how I'm going to get through this uh, exam coming up, or these papers that are due, and, and, and juggling work, and, and all of these other extracurricular activities. And I remember he would often, you know, challenge me in my thinking, and, and it was often to get me to think bigger about what God's plan and purpose for my life might be. I think both of those people and the individuals that God placed in my life, and when 
I'm praying for your family. When I pray for your kids, and some of you say, hey, pastor, pray for my son or pray for my daughter, and maybe they're not living for the Lord right now. You know what I say? I pray God surrounds them with people like Beverly, with people like Dr. Schaefer that are going to invest in their walk with God and give them encouragement and, and strength along the way and challenge them to, to rise up and be the man and woman that God has called them to be. Uh, think about people in Scripture. This morning we're starting a brand new series I'm entitling Exponential. We're going to look at some of the people in Scripture that maybe aren't as bold and big as the Moses and the Abraham and the Joshua, but they're valuable people in the story of God and how God used lesser-known people to make an impact on the nation of Israel, how he used people that were obscure. Think about the story of Rahab. We're not studying her this morning, but think about her story, and most people would have never included her in Scripture, and yet she's in the Hall of Faith. And God used someone uh, who had maybe a, a, a storied past. Maybe their, their, their story is not one we want to blazon on the big screen, but yet God would use them as a part of the story of God. Albert Einstein said this, the most powerful force in the universe is compounding his interest. I would argue, think about this, the most powerful force in the universe is a compounding life. Someone who is going to invest in other people's lives and see God do some supernatural things, not only in their life, but through their life to touch the lives of other people. And, and I'm thankful for the Beverly's, the, the Charles Schaefer's of this world who invest in people and, and see beyond where they're at today. I had a, a guidance counselor in high school and she was always encouraged me, don't look around at what everyone else is doing. Look at what the bigger picture of maybe what God wants to do in your life. Because what happens is we're somehow bound to this script, so to speak. And you look around and everybody's going to this school or that school. They're studying this or that. And, and everybody is about how much money are you going to make? How much, you know, what are you going to, and you, we get bogged down with that. But what about what God's purpose and plan is for our lives? I want to introduce to the king, the Old Testament king of Josiah. Later on, we're going to look at Dorcas. We're going to look at some unnamed lepers in Scripture. We're going to look at the young boy who had uh, five loaves and two fish. And he was sitting there in a, 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 a serious sea of people who are coming to hear Christ speak. And ultimately, God would use something that seemed insignificant, a, a little bag lunch. And uh, he would use it to, use, to feed the masses and God would use him as a part of the story of God. I want us to think about how God uses the most insignificant minor characters to make it a major impact. And yes, they're minor only because maybe they only cover a few verses of Scripture. Maybe their name is not even mentioned. But yet, God would use them with maximum impact. I want to propose to you that sometimes we as, a, as individuals can think, how can I be important in the context of a, of a large church city? How can I be used of God to impact the city of Raleigh or my neighborhood or my school or my college or university? How can I impact my place of business or the workforce of which I've played, God's placed me in? And so what happens is that when God uses us, it's in spite of us. 
He uses the least of these. He uses the people that have the, the least amount of ability. Uh, Dr. Ernie Mills was here just a few Sundays ago, and he was talking about what God was doing through the Durham Rescue Mission. And 450 people a night sleep in on the campuses of the Durham Rescue Mission. Men, women, children, families that are homeless, that have fallen on hard times, and they're not offering them just a handout. They're offering them a hand up to God and offering them a way to know God and experience God. He was a nobody. In fact, he, was, he would tell you, my father, his father was an alcoholic. And he says, but God used his past to help him impact and make a huge impact on the city of Durham and on the, the triangle as a whole. If you look at 2 Corinthians, I'm going to get 2 Chronicles in a moment, but I want to share a verse from 2 Kings chapter 23. We don't have time to read all of the passages because there's about four chapters dealing with King Josiah. In 2 Kings 23 verse 25 it says, Before him there was no king like him, talking about Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Imagine for just a moment... This is one of the greatest kings of Israel. It says there's never been one like him before and not one like him since. So what did he do? What was it about King Josiah? Uh, he, his name is not in, in bold lights, but for just a moment, take the, the, the Josiah's life and project it onto yourself for just a moment. Sometimes we like to do that. Uh, but project his story onto your life. So what is your job? All right, um, and, and so put it, put your profession into this verse. It says, "Before him there was no king like him." So his occupation was he was a king. Before him there was no king like him. All right, uh, Ashley, you're sitting right front and center. I'm, I'm pick on you. Um, you're a, a college professor, you know. So let's put that in there. Before him, before her, there was no professor like her. All right. So you can put yourself into that. You're a pharmacist. Before him, there was no other pharmacist like him. All right? And you go down the road. He said, before him, the, you know, there was no other teacher. Where's our teachers? There was no other teacher like Jason. All right? And so put yourself in this moment for just a second. Before them, there was no other, there's no other builder. There's no other uh, baker. There's no electrician like this person. And, and as you think about his life, he made such an impact. And, and so you could say, before this pastor, there was no other pastor like him. Before this mother, there was no other mother like her. Before this father, there was no other father like him. And, and you, you just imagine for a second how he stood out in, in, in amongst his peers and amongst the, the kings of Israel. And, and so let's look at his life and see what... I'm going to invite you, not today, but not right now, but maybe uh, this afternoon, read 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. But you're going to find the parallel story in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and 35. So that's why we're looking at chapter 34 today. Takes up about four chapters of the Old Testament. He's also mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 1 because he was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, at his funeral, Jeremiah did the sermon. He, he spoke about uh, King Josiah's life. And he became a king at the age of, of 26, and, and he ruled for 36 years, which was a long time back in those days. He was the 16th king of Judah. 
And so think about Jerusalem and the, and the southern kingdom. Um, he, all that area south of Jerusalem was his territory. And he was the great-grandson of Hezekiah. So if you're ever on a Bible trivia show, Hezekiah is not a book of the Bible. Uh, sometimes people will try to trip you up on that. And uh, as a youth pastor, sometimes we would play some Bible trivia games. Now it's sad. Nobody knows any of the answers to these questions. They're too hard even for the Bible teachers sometimes. But uh, anyway, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll move on this, this morning. But Hezekiah, after King Hezekiah, things went completely crazy. In fact, the grandfather and father of Josiah were wicked. They were idolaters. They worshipped idols. And uh, he said that Josiah was a bright flash of obedience amongst the kings of Israel uh, with darkened conscience who seemed bent on outdoing each other in their disobedience and evil. In fact, in the midst of all this evil, Josiah steps to the forefront. And at age 26, he initiates massive reform in Jerusalem and in uh, the, the land of Israel, the southern kingdom, you see, the, the fact is obedience has an exponential impact on, on where disobedience is most prominent. It, it stands out. It looks so different than the, 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 the masses around us that are going the wrong direction. Josiah steps up and decides to live an obedient life, one that's consecrated to God and sold out for, for God. And he stands out, and the, the effects of that ripples down through the ages. I would say that the same is true for us today. If you decide to obey God in this climate, you're going to stand out. It's going to be in sharp contrast to the world that we are living in. But folks, it's so worth it because God has called us to be a city on a hill, a light that's not to be hidden uh, under, uh, under a cloud of darkness. Decide to live this morning a compounding life for the kingdom of God. Look at verse 29 of our text. The whole platform that Josiah uh, institutes it starts with a profound decision in his life. He decided he was going to repair the temple. The temple was in disrepair. Uh, and, and so the days were coming where he, he said they have literally quit worshiping the God of, uh, of Jacob, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, and uh, Abraham. They, they'd quit worshiping the true living God. And the temple was in a place of, of disrepair. And so he sends the men in to repair the temple of God. And it's similar to the story of Joash. Uh, if you've been here for several years, you've heard me preach on King Joash and how God used a young boy who became a king as a young uh, uh, preteen, uh, essentially. And he did the same thing. He called the people together and says, it's time to fix up the house of God. And let, it's embarrassing to see the state of disarray. But the nation of Israel was constantly in turmoil and, and fighting. And, and so the temple was once again in a state of disarray. Josiah helped them rediscover the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so he's challenging them uh, because they had become so uh, evil and, and were worshiping idols. And, you know, it, it, it looked awful if you looked across the, the nation of Israel and the land of Judah to see what had taken place. So in verse 29 of our text, 2 Chronicles 34, it says, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Jeru Judah and Jerusalem. What was he uh, trying to accomplish? 
He says, we've got to have a plan. There's got to be a vision. There's got to be someone who gets this place back on track. And he was the man that God would choose to do it. His name is not uh, emboldened and, and, and lights for everyone to see. But he's faithful where God had called him. And God is going to use him to accomplish great things. Get this. He made this decision at the age of 26. Sometimes people feel like, you know what, I've got to wait till I'm like old to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Joash did it at 8, 10 years old. Josiah did it at 26. So, I mean, imagine what could happen if some of these kids in the, in the student ministry got a hold of the, the area of obedience and started just obeying their parents. What impact it would make in their own household, what it would make in their schools. And, and folks, you don't, don't you think principals and, and school leaders, the, the, the people who deal with all the problem kids would start recognizing there's something different about those kids over there. They're living differently. God is doing something in their life. What would happen in our city if we started having such a desire to obey God and live for God that it impacted our immediate community, the, the community of, of, of Southern Wake County. What if it started making such an impact that the people, the, the leaders in our town started taking notice? There's something different to these people who call themselves followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus. So he, he understood what it was because his father and his grandfather were worshiping false gods and idols. And he says, I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to have my own relationship with God. I'm going to choose to allow God to work in my life. And Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will do what, church? Will find it. He's saying we have a, a, a responsibility to live a life of obedience to the, real, to the true God of heaven. The end of our lives... There's only one of two words going to be used to describe uh, the impact of our lives. One is mediocrity and one is meaning. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lead a mediocre life. I don't want to go through this life and it be like, and they're gone. You know what? Uh, the, the, the dash between the, the day you were born and the day you died is the only thing that truly matters. How, what's the impact of my life? Is it going to be a life of meaning or a life of me mediocrity? Because we can go through this life totally absorbed and consumed with our own desires and wishes and accumulate things and, and have parties and all of those things. But folks, in light of eternity, it makes no impact on the kingdom of God if we're not choosing to be obedient to God. Are we going to live a life of, of meaning and, and purpose? That's what Beverly did in my life, and that's what Dr. Schaefer did in my life in choosing to invest and to have conversations to challenge me, to help move me forward towards a greater relationship with God and accomplish what God wants to do in my life. It starts with the decision Will you decide that you're not going to accept a mediocre life? I wish more young people today would have that drive to serve God and to live for God and not be so consumed with the things of this world. He says, decide, choose to follow Christ. Choose to live a compounding life, one that's going to make an impact for the ages. Decide, secondly, to build your life on Scripture. When Josiah found the Word of God, he says, we cannot ignore it. He said, 
I'm not going to build my kingdom on what I think is best. Kingdoms were built on the word of the king. He was the final authority in that day. So he says, I'm not going to do it. I said, I want to follow what Jesus Christ, what God says is important in my life and for the nation of Israel. Josiah said, it's not going to be about my words or my thoughts of right and wrong. He says, it's going to be about what God's word says is true. In verse 30 of our text, says, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all of the men of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, all the people, both great and small, and he read in their hearing of the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. So it tells you how bad things have gotten that not only was the, the, the temple of God destroyed, in doing so, they lost the word of God. They completely lost the scriptures. That was what would give them, and you know, thanks, you, you can't fast forward to 2021 and, and understand the concept because the reality is, is every American that wants a Bible can get one. You say, what do you mean? The apps are free on your phone if you have a phone. They sell them at the dollar store. I mean, we were talking this week because we're buying Bibles for the, the, the kids at El Redentor Church in Managua, Nicaragua. And they were saying it's about $15 per Bible. And uh, I think we were talking about this the other night out there at the front desk. Uh, and I said, it's not like you can go to the Dollar Tree down there and buy, uh, you know, Spanish Bibles for a dollar. It does not exist. Uh, you can't do that. And so when you go to the store, you're paying like $15, and it brings some perspective because it's just a different culture, different environment. But, folks, the reality is, is in America today, if you want a copy of God's Word, you go to any church in town. I guarantee you they have Bibles they will place in your hand. We'll give you some that have pews. They're sitting in the thing. And you know what? They're, they're complimentary. I mean, they're there for you to use while you're in church. And if you don't have one, you want to take it with you, there's not a church that believes the gospel anywhere that wouldn't give you that Bible. And so we have study Bibles. We have a dollar store. We have all kinds of Bibles. We give Bibles to people who've gotten saved or kids that are dedicated or, or different things, different moments in their life. Folks, that's part of the American life. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about in biblical times where they had scrolls. They didn't have, everybody didn't have a, an app on their phone that they could pull it up. And today, there's no excuse. It will read it to you, folks. I mean, those of us who are lazy, I'm not, I mean, those of us who are, 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 you know, whatever. You say, I'm not a great reader. Put it on there. You can change the accent to British. I mean, you literally can't. And it'll read it to you in a different uh, accent or dialect. And I mean, whatever language, there's no excuse for not reading the Word of God. And so what's he saying? He says, he brought the people together. He goes into their houses and he begins to read the word of God, word for word. Imagine the impact. You know, imagine how long it took, how many hours it took to read all of Genesis. Oh, that's a lot. I mean, I remember the book of Genesis when I took Old Testament survey was like three months. I mean, just the book of Genesis. Uh, and so, uh, you know, imagine reading all through the, the genealogies and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's sitting there reading that in their houses and helping people to understand the Word of God. He saw the importance of the Scripture because for Josiah, the Scripture revealed the gap between where they were living 
and the standard that God had for their lives. That's what the scripture always does. The word of God tells us it's like a mirror for the soul. It shows us the areas that we're living that's not in line with God and his holy word. So that's why the Ten Commandments, people don't want them on a courtroom wall. You say, why? Because there's that little part about thou shalt not steal. I mean, it's kind of a problem if you're there for theft. I mean, there's thou shalt not kill. It's kind of a, a problem if you've shot someone and, and killed them. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's kind of a problem. I mean, all of these things are showing where we're li- our lives don't match up with the word of God. And so what is he saying? He says it's, it's important. When we interact with God's word, it reveals the areas of our lives that are out of sync. When I, people sometimes come out of church and they're like, Pastor, man, you stepped on my toes this morning. In fact, someone told me last Sunday, they said, man, that sermon was exactly where I'm at and you were all, I, mean, I was like, no, that's the Holy Spirit. Because what happens is the word of God begins to cut like a knife and it shows us areas of our life. And folks, I wouldn't want to go to church that wasn't like that. I don't want to go to a church that just makes me feel good about everything I'm doing because you know why? You'll leave exactly the same way you came in. I want to go to a church that's going to challenge me in my walk with God that when I leave, I'm not the same person today that I was yesterday. I'm not the same person tomorrow that I was today. Why? Because the Word of God trains, it corrects, it instructs in righteousness, and it radically changes So look how Christ said it in Luke chapter 6. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not strike it because it had been well built. He's saying the rock of Christ Jesus is what our faith is founded on for those that know Christ as Savior. He says nothing can shake that. Nothing can rattle that. Nothing can throw us off course. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Just this week, uh, uh, I don't like pictures of snakes. Those of you that know me, I'm terrified of snakes. Every snake, rubber snake, don't put one in my desk drawer. I mean, I'm going to hurt you. But anyway, I don't do snakes of any kind. When the zebra cobra was out, uh, I, was, I, I was in. I mean, I don't care how. Uh, and to find out that thing had been out for months, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i like, let's take somebody to court and uh, uh, put them away. I mean, why, why are we allowing this stuff to happen in our city? But this week, two people posted pictures of snakes uh, Copperheads. Uh, and I saw one of them was in our neighborhood, and I mean, it was a massive, uh, it was a healthy mama. I mean, she was healthy, and, and I'm like, you know, that's, uh, someone posted on there said, that's why I don't run. <laughs> I mean, it's a dangerous sport to run in, in the summertime in the south when there's copperheads. I mean, just not going to do it. Uh, anyway, but uh, I saw that snake, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I mean, it's not safe. I mean, these people, people are going to get bit. Kids are going to the, the school bus stops and all these things are happening. But it, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet. So when my daughter says, I'm going to take my dog, uh, it's a, a 67 pound lab on a walk or a run. I'm like, get your phone out and turn on the flashlight because she wants to do it at nine o'clock at night because it's like 99,000 degrees in, in the daytime. And so she, I said, turn on your flashlight 
and make sure that you can see. Why, Dad? Because there's snakes on the road, and, and there's certain areas of the neighborhood that it's not safe. You're going to run encounter, you could encounter. He says, your word is like a lamp unto my feet, and that light into my path. It directs our steps to follow Jesus Christ. It helps us mind the gaps in our life, and it keeps you from stumbling and falling. When you step onto an escalator, you have to watch that little gap there when you step on it. When you go on a train, you have to watch the, the gap. When you go into an elevator, watch the gap. When you go through life, the Word of God helps us mind that gap and make responsible choices that would glorify and please God. We also must decide to put God first in every area of our life. Verse 31, Josiah reads the scriptures, but folks, far too many believers today listen to it, but they don't take heed. It doesn't take action in their life. It doesn't change the way they live their lives. As Josiah was reading the scripture, he began to recognize all of the southern kingdom and he began to see it in light of God's word and how God wanted to do something supernatural or something miraculous through it. He reads God's word to the people and then he begins to act on it. I think that's a fine distinction and one that I think is important for us to see because it's not enough just to hear it. James says we're not just to be hearers of the word, we're supposed to be doers of the word. So verse 31 says, The king stood in the place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all of his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. Now, he made a decree in the nation of Israel that God would be first in all of Judah. Now, he had that power. He was the king. And if you remember in the Old Testament books of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, you remember some of these, these kings that made them bow down to false gods. And he's saying, you're going to worship the one true God. You're going to worship the, the, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. So he had led to an unprecedented period of blessing in the nation of Israel. As they began to put God first, God began to bless the nation of Israel. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. So we see when you put God first, it equals blessing. When you put God first, whatever area of your life you want God to bless, put him first in that area. And, and I'm not saying this is not a prosperity theology, but he says the principle is clear. You want God to bless your marriage? Put God first in your marriage. You want God to bless your kids? Put God first in the area of your kids and say, well, Pastor, you know what? I'm just trying to make sure they get the best education, that they have all the sports, and they have all the extracurricular and all these things. That, all right, but at what point are we going to put God first in those areas so that he can bless their life and direct their path? Because what's going to happen is at some point, I think parents will look back and say, you know what? We did all of these things, and yet we missed the most important thing, and that was putting God first in our family, in our family's activities, there are all the things that we're doing. Put God first. You want God to bless you financially? Put Him first in your finances. And you say, well, Pastor David, you know what? I mean, that's you're, you're treading on some thin ice. No, you put God first in your finances. And I remember hearing my dad say this years ago, back when 
we were poor, and I didn't know we were poor. I mean, we, we were barely were getting by for, for some several years. And I remember Dad saying, he says, God can do a whole lot more with 90% of our income if we give 10% back to God than what we could do with 100% if we kept it all for ourselves. Wait a minute, 90%? Goes further than a hundred percent. This doesn't. I mean, did he pass math class? I mean, I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, do you have a calculator? I mean, ninety percent goes further than a hundred. I don't understand that. But folks, what happens is it was the principle of giving God what was rightfully His. And when we did what was right with God financially and put Him first in our finances, God began to bless in other areas and every other area of our life. And folks, I can tell you today. As a teenager, I learned that concept when I made $10 to give a dollar back to the Lord and God would bless those areas of my finances. And folks, all these years later, it doesn't matter how much money you make, you put God first in your finances, He will bless every You don't do it for that reason. We're doing it because we're honoring God in our finances and we're being good stewards of what he's blessed in our care. And what happens is when we do honor God, he blesses those areas of our life. Say, well, pastor, I don't believe it. Well, then try it. I dare you. God says, prove me. I will prove. I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so big you don't even have room to receive it, what God wants to accomplish in your life. So blessing, the putting God first equals blessing in our lives. Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is pre- preaching and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And look at the last part of that verse. What does it say? And all these things will be done, what church? Added to you. So if you're watching here in person or online, what is he saying? He says, they're worried about how am I going to put food on the table, how long I'm going to put shoes. I mean, we, I, we, with four kids, I mean, you guys know, I mean, every time you turn around, uh, Dad, my shoes are too tight. Uh, my, my clothes are, my shorts are too, sh- I mean, well, girls never say that, but I'm not, I'm the, they don't ever tell you they're too short, but they're going to, I mean, Dad's sitting there going, no, no, we ain't doing that. <laughs> I mean, but uh, we're looking around and, and we're saying, man, they need, their, their jeans are too short. They're, I mean, they need new coat for the winter time. I mean, every time you turn around, it's a new swimsuit for this. I mean, it's always something. But folks, what happens is when we put God first, God blesses. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these other things, food, shelter, clothing, education, sports, all those other things. God will take care of those just like he takes care of the lilies of the field growing out on the freeways around town, around the state of North Carolina. That's how he takes care. I love watching all the dogwoods in the spring and the, right now all of the crepe myrtles. Are they not the prettiest things this year I've ever seen? I mean, they are absolutely gorgeous. And I'm saying God takes care of those things. He will take care of us as his children. Hang on, we're almost done. Decide, fourthly, to influence others towards God. Verse 32, he says, then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Now think about it. Josiah was in a little bit different position than most of us, all right? He was king. (laughs) So when he says, by the way, all of you out there are going to follow 
the real, real true God of, of heaven. You're going to worship God. You're going to put God first in your life. He had a little bit more authority than the average pastor. I mean, I know lots of pastors who would love to say, and everybody's going to be at church every Sunday, and, and there would be standing room only, you know? I mean, every, I mean, it's not just Easter and Christmas. We have, you know, uh, every Sunday, we, and you, you can come out to worship, and you can do all of I mean, Everybody's going to tithe and give 10%. Can you imagine the, the missions work and the outreach we could do as a church if people, everybody's going to have a place of service within the church. I mean, can you imagine Miss Jessica being like, I've got so many many people lined up to keep nursery. I mean, we're going to have to schedule you next week or get back to me and we'll call you in three months uh, when we can get you on the schedule. And I mean, people are taking care of the, the flowers and the, the shrubs and the, the plant. They're, they're doing all the construction. They're doing all of these. And you don't even have to think about it. It's just happening around the church. Musicians and singers and all of these things. He says, verse 32, that he made all who are present in Jerusalem join in. The inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. It may not work the same way today, but who are the people around you that you can invest in? You can invite to follow God with you. Our theme this year, Who's Your One? We've been talking about inviting and share, having gospel conversations inviting people to church. You know what? It's easy in January. It's a brand new year. We're starting a new theme, and everyone's like, man, I'm inviting my neighbors. I'm inviting my coworkers. I mean, Easter's here. I'm, I'm putting their name on one of those blue balls, dropping in that thing out there, and I mean, I've done my job. Have we? Have we? We have new neighbors moving in every day. I mean, moving trucks are in and out of our neighborhood daily right now. Have you invited the new neighbor to church? We have brand new people who've just moved here from Winston-Salem, uh, Charlotte, uh, Chicago, New York, uh, New Jersey. One of the families that just, they just joined the other week. They just moved here two, three months ago, right after Easter from New Jersey. And I, I was meeting them one Sunday outside of the lobby and they said, yeah, uh, we actually bought our house and we'd never even seen it. I was like, I wanted to say, you insane. You crazy. And like they're like, no, we lost like five or ten houses in a row. And finally we just said, we'll take it. They said, we got here and it was way better than what we lived in in New Jersey. I mean, this is like awesome. Man. We feel like we hit the jackpot here. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, the prices are so expensive here. I mean, if I had to start all over, I don't think I could even afford it. But I mean, it's crazy. But folks, people are moving here all over from all over. They're building thousands of apartments and townhomes and single-family homes. Literally within a five-mile radius of our church, there is no excuse for us not to make a lasting impact with the gospel of Jesus in our community. Decide to influence others. Some of us need to go out there this afternoon and say, all right, I, it's time for me to put some more. I've got new coworkers. I've got new neighbors. I'm, I'm going to invite them to church. And I'm, I'm going to be praying for them and say, Why, what's the significance of that? One, hopefully it helps you remember their name. But secondly, it's a reminder for all of us to be praying that God uses us to impact our one and our city with the gospel of Christ. And then lastly, decide to maintain a pure heart. Josiah took away, verse 33, all of the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from the following the Lord, 
the God of their fathers. As a dad, sometimes you come home and your kids have gotten in trouble at school. I mean, don't you hate those? I mean, now, when, before I was a, a dad, I mean, I would watch kids act up in the grocery store, and I'm like, why don't those parents jerk a night in them? I mean, <laughs> let's be real. I mean, I, we grew up in the spanking days. I mean, why don't those moms, you know, take them to the car and show them who's boss? I mean, somebody get control of that screaming child. And then you have your own kid, and you're like, wow, that's a lot harder than it looks. And they're going to call the authorities on me if I do that, so I'm not going to do that. But, you know, you're, you, it's crazy. And so all of a sudden, you're trying to wrap your mind around, you know, how do I do this? How do I parent in these times? And sometimes you get all mad, you'll get a note from a teacher, an email, and, and you're like, man, I'm telling you, when I get home, it's going to be on. I'm going to take care of business. And 30 minutes later, we've already forgotten that we've grounded. The kids are back playing on their phones. They're on the iPads because they're annoying us, and, and we don't follow through. But what happens here is, hang with me for just a second, because I, Josiah didn't just make that decree. He followed up. They brought around the, the authorities, and they got all the idols, thousands of them. And they put them on a huge heaping pile outside the walls of the city. And what did they do? They burned them. Now I'll tell you this. I remember back in the day, growing up, we had a youth pastor that, I mean, we had gone to camp and man, they had preached against everything. And they came home, and you know what they did? Everybody was bringing all their tapes with bad language on it and songs that they shouldn't be listening to, videos, and they burned them in a barrel. And you know what? Sometimes we need to take some drastic actions to get our family back on track for God, to get our church back on track for God. I'm not saying everybody has to have a bonfire tonight in their fire pit. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, whatever it takes— they decided to maintain a pure heart. And Josiah said all the days they did not turn away from following the Lord. They're going to, no more idols. I'm going to wrap this up. What's the application? What are the false idols that you need to destroy in your life? You say, Pastor David, I don't have any, um, I don't have any idols that sit on the shelf that I worship that's not what I'm talking about. I've been to India many times on mission trips, and they have idols that are cows that are in the middle of the highway, and you don't dare hit one of those cows because that's someone's God. They have idols and statues and temples and all of these things that people bow down. You know, in America, that doesn't look quite like that. It's, it's the houses and the, the cars and the the, the stuff, the, the, the toys, the jobs, the, the sports, the ambitions, the things that motivate us and drive us. It, folks, if we're not careful, can become a God. So I just want my kid to get the scholarship. Yes, so does every parent, but at what cost? Because sometimes we've spent the money for an entire college education running them all over the entire world to play a sport they're not even that good at. All right? Let's be real. Not many kids are going to make it to the NFL. 
But you can spend your entire thing chasing. You say, Pastor David, you're on some thin. You know what? Hang on and buckle your seatbelt. Because at the end of the day, if we're not careful, we can put them in every sports camp, every uh, reading camp or band camp or music camp or dance camp and be in every single thing, traveling all over the nation to do all of these things and yet miss out on the power of God to transform our lives. Don't do that, families. Church family, don't allow the, the devil to rob you and, and allow idols to creep in and rob us of the true worship of God himself. An idol is anything that takes the place of the real God in our life. Desires, ambitions, they're not wrong. Goals, they're not wrong. Attitudes are not wrong. Traditions, the folks, if they take the place of God, it becomes an idol in our lives. We allow stuff, materialism. What's standing between you and God today? What's standing before you? Do you want to see God at work in 2021? You say, well, Pastor David, we're living in a... You know what? The same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament, same God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross 2,000 years ago, that rose again and, and, and commissioned the church with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same God who's alive and well in 2021, and he wants to radically transform your life today. Do you want to start living a life of exponential impact? You can. Decide today that you're going to live a life that is going to have a compounding impact on the people around us, small and large, we can do that today. And folks, when it's all said and done, when the books are closed on your life, don't allow it to be a, a life of mediocrity. Allow it to be a, a life of meaning and purpose about pro pro projecting the name of Christ to a world that needs and desperately desires to know him. Folks, verse 33 says, all the days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God, of their fathers. Why not start that today? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would do something supernatural in each of our lives. Help us desire to have that compounding life like Josiah who would make an exponential impact on his people, the people of Israel. And God, you used him in supernatural ways. God, I pray this morning that each and every one of us would desire above all else to put you first. Help us to have those conversations with coworkers and neighbors, with friends this week. Help us to have with classmates at school and desire above all else, God, that you use us to impact our city and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or there may be some that have never placed their faith and trust in you alone for salvation. God made this morning be that moment of decision where they confess their sins to you and begin a brand new relationship with you. God, do a mighty work in our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name.